All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to Dropping the Gloves. Thanks for joining us. We are back from a hiatus. Tim, tell us why. Let's just jump right into it. What's going on, my friend? Yeah, we only recorded one episode last week. Um, if you follow us on Instagram, you might have seen why. I posted a couple of quick stories from the hospital. Broke my leg last Tuesday night playing hockey, and it has not been a fun week for me, John. So we, we just wrapped up the Ryan Reeves interview, which was great. You know, we, we got a good insight on his thoughts about the playoffs going up against the Minnesota Wild potentially, and then they obviously are playing the Wild. We'll touch on that a little bit later. And then you go out for pickup hockey, and then what, ha- what happens? How do you break your leg playing hockey? Yeah, so this is just a sticks and pucks thing. It's, uh, it's, I've been going to the skate since I moved to Michigan, and it's uh, about an hour and a half, usually about – uh, 15, 16 guys, two goalies. It's always a great skate. And, um, and it was about an hour in, um, I was trying to just, I was just on a rush and, um, the, I've kind of put it behind the defense when the puck went into the corner and, and it's not a checking league obviously, but there's still some, you know, physicality, a little bit of battling for position. Him and I were just kind of riding each other a little bit and I lost my footing and I was skating full speed and went feet first into the boards in the corner and uh, there was a kind of collision. I just knew right away um, something was wrong. Everyone stopped, obviously, and I'm on all fours, just, like, gasping for air. And I didn't look down. I couldn't even look down, but I was just, like, I just knew something was terrible, terribly wrong. And uh, they – a couple of guys are trying to – they gave me a minute to catch my breath, hoping it was just, like, a, you know, a, the wind knocked out of me, a sprained ankle or something, and a couple of guys tried to lift me up and – and not put any pressure on the right foot, obviously, but it was just I, – I couldn't even do that. Went right back down, and they called an ambulance. And I looked down. They got me on a wheelchair to get off the ice before the ambulance got there. And my foot – my right foot was turned up almost to 90 degrees. It was just sideways. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is so bad. This is like the stuff you see – you know, you watch on slow-mo and an NHL player does it, and his body goes one way, the foot goes the other, and – um and I just knew it was not going to be good. And, and I just kind of – I think I was a little bit in shock and a little bit of just the, uh, you know, adrenaline's going um, because I wasn't like – it wasn't a throbbing pain yet. It was just sort of like a like an intense um, pressure and, and obviously some pain. And I was just – I think I was wheezing. I think I was just breathing really heavily. The paramedics came. They kept – told me to slow my breathing down because they were worried I was going to pass out. 
and just have like a, a panic attack. And um, anyway, so ambulance ride to the hospital and um, they're giving me all kinds of painkillers at this point. I'm on an IV before we even left the rink and we get to the, the hospital and a doctor comes in and um, the plan is to get an x-ray. And I, they, I thought you had to go get an x-ray and they have machines now, if it's bad enough or certain parts of the body, they bring it right to you. And, um, and so these nurses came in, gave me an x-ray and they came back like a half hour later and said, uh, they were like, yeah, you, you busted it pretty good. It's a two clean breaks, one at the top of the fibula, which is the smaller bone and the side, kind of the back of your leg. And so it was just under the knee there and one in the, tibia which is the shin bone which is the weight bearing which is like the bigger thicker bone and that's where the bigger thicker break it was pretty bad um and they were like okay so we're admitting you you need to get surgery tomorrow um lots of painkillers i don't even know what they were giving me um i, I kind of calmed down at this point but it was just like it's just a fluke thing it happens so fast right it's just just changes you know not your life necessarily but certainly changes my my spring and summer uh and so i stay over the hospital they eventually bring me upstairs to a room with a bed and all that and it's probably two in the morning at this point and um they kind of said just try to get some sleep i think i woke up like every half hour and um they kind of said surgery tomorrow but you it could be any time like there's already a bunch of scheduled surgeries with the orthopedic so it um, you're an add-on and it's not a life-threatening emergency so there's not a ton of urgency believe it or not um, and and I was kind of like and you can't eat after midnight too so I was just like wolfing down pink crackers and stuff and you can't drink water either and I'm like I, if I can't eat or drink and what if the surgery is not till like tomorrow night just be just be miserable um, but I woke up at probably I don't know five o'clock and I was up for good um, so I only slept a couple hours on and off and then they actually said um, it's going to be on the sooner side. I was really lucky. I got surgery about eight thirty, nine o'clock that next morning, which was just, just totally, totally very lucky. And um, so there's more of that, more drugs, just more nurses and doctors and everyone coming by at the hospital like they do, asking your name every time they ask, you know, they come in the room asking the date, asking what you're there for, asking what you're getting done today and um, your birthday and all that. And um Anyway, so I go into surgery and have you had, have you gone under for surgery before, John? Have you had a, yeah, yeah. it's, um, they, they wheeled me in there and there was like a dozen people in there and I'm like, are they all here for me? And I, and part of them were probably just like text, like handing the machines, the, the equipment, whatever, but they were all scurrying around like mice, just super quick. Everything's like, go, go, go. And, uh, they put me under and woke up a couple hours later, uh, confused obviously. And they said, it went well. And, um, this is, this is, so this is like Wednesday noonish at this point. And, um, and just, I mean, I, I just fast forward just all day Wednesday, uh, just starting to eat luckily, um, you know, just calling my, my mom and my family and friends and, um, I couldn't have any visitors cause of the COVID restrictions, but, um, yeah, it just stunk and, and I'll, I couldn't move, just totally, you know, dependent on other people and um, had to go to the bathroom, had to do anything at all. I, I couldn't even like, you know, lean over to grab my phone on the table without needing help, um, which really stinks. And um, anyway, they, they released me 
Thursday morning. Um, stayed at my uncle's for the last few days. Uh, luckily, you know, I had family not too far away. And I've just been chilling in their basement, like going back and forth between uh, the spare couch they put down there or spare bedroom and the couch they have in front of the TV and just just laying down and resting and napping a ton. The drugs just take a ton out of me. I'm either kind of like, I, 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 the pain is, is tolerable. Um, or at least I think it is the drugs start to wear off and I realize how much it hurts again, but the side effects of the drugs are tough too, because it's just like, you're so loopy, you're so tired, you get kind of confused easily. You get sort of drowsy, um, and kind of agitated too. Like, I'm just like mad at nothing. And, um, and luckily I've been able to eat and, and all that and just reading a lot, napping a lot, sleeping a lot, watching playoff hockey, watching TV. And just every couple of minutes, I'm like, my cousin Jack is taking care of me. And he's just like, I'm like, Hey Jack, I need my water. Can you refill it? Or Jack, can you get my phone? I dropped it. Or Jack, can you get me another pillow? And he's just playing Xbox the next room, just keeps pausing it and bringing it back over and, and helping me. And, um, that part is tough. It's frustrating, you know, not being able to take care of yourself and not being self-sufficient and independent when you have been for so long. And so it's been a long week, John. It's not been fun. I have a long recovery ahead of me. I have a follow-up in the morning um, just over the phone. I have a follow-up in person with the orthopedic a week from Monday to talk about. They'll probably take this cast off, get a look in there. I know I'm going to have a pretty nasty scar that's going to be six or eight inches long and um, at the top of my, my foot. And um, it's going to be at, at least four to six weeks, they said, before you can put any weight on it. And that's just beginning of rehab at that point. Um, and it's your right leg, right? So how are you going to do Yeah, You're not going to be able to drive. You're not going to be able to do anything. And the timing couldn't be much worse either. You know, I mean, hopefully it's the shorter end. It's four to six weeks and I'm able to sort of drive and maybe like, I'm not in a rush to go do squats or deadlifts or play hockey again. I just want to live a normal life. Like the disruption to the life is just so frustrating. And so hopefully I can drive in a, in a, in a month or a month and a half. And they said it could be eight or 12. Like everyone just responds differently. You just don't know. And then I'm going to be doing PT for, for quite a while to build that strength back up and, you're going to deal with it. What's the, the muscles just, they just don't get used. Right. So you have to build those back up and I have to take meds all day and I have to give myself a shot in the stomach every day for uh, it's a blood, Why? it's a blood thing because, um, because you're at risk for blood clots on the narcotics that I'm on. So you have to give yourself a blood thinner and it's just, I literally have to grab my stomach and put a shot in every single day, Ew, which gross. is just, I know. I know. I think I almost would rather risk a blood clot. It's just, it's well, the no. real deal, man. Really? It's, wow. Yeah. Crazy. It sucks. Well, since you've been watching hockey, you've obviously watched the first three playoff games. <laughs> what? <It's transition. laughs> How was your week, John? We got to move on, Tim. I, I wanted to have a podcast. You broke your leg and I sat around for three days waiting for you to heal up so I could talk to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's about it. But no, it's been I just worrying about you, my friend. Glad you're okay. But Hopefully you're going home tomorrow. Yes, that'll be nice. We can uh we'll help you out. I'll bring you some food, it'll all be good. We'll get you taken care of, Tim. Don't worry. I can drive your brand new car for you, not a problem. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, moving on, as I love to say. We're glad you're out of the hospital. We're glad you're feeling good, but you like you said, you've watched all three games. I don't think I can remember another playoff series, a playoff 
year where the first three games all go into overtime, let alone the fourth game that's going on right now potentially could go into overtime. The Panthers are up four to three as we speak, as we're taping this podcast. They've been going back and forth. It's a really great game. What are your thoughts on the first three games, Tim? You're a Bruins guy. Yep. Grew up a Bruins fan. Everybody knows that. What was your thoughts on, A, the Bruins matching up against the Capitals? Did you like that matchup? And what did you think of the first game? I don't like the matchup. I, I, I wanted Pittsburgh. I think we matched up better against them. We played better historically against them. Washington's always been a tough matchup for us with the just the offense and the physicality they have. Um, and obviously now we got Char there, who no one wants to play against, even at this age. And um, so it was, it was a tough. It was a tough game. The Bruins looked a little flat-footed at times. They were bringing it at times too. I think. I think it was close. I think Washington looked overall the better team, but I don't think they were. They were much better. Um, the, the the real frustrating thing to watch was obviously in the first, the third or fourth shot of the game, Vanacek, Washington's goalie, gets hurt on a split uh, in which DeBrus scores, and. He's out of the game. So then you got Craig Anderson, who didn't warm up. Obviously, he's a backup goalie. He's he has. I think he's played three NHL games in the last like eighteen months, something like that, since the start of uh, COVID last year, um, and hasn't played in and since he's played one game this year in, in twenty twenty one. So like he's as cold as they come. And and I, I actually pictured your voice telling me this, like, because I was telling my cousin, like. If I'm the coach, shooting it from anywhere, just getting pucks on this guy because he's going to let in one or two in the first 10 or 12 shots, and then it's a completely different game. And they couldn't do it. They could not get shots on this guy, or they wouldn't. I, was, they, I don't know. Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing. When Vanacek went down, I, I thought the Capitals were in trouble because Anderson, like I said, I like Anderson. Craig Anderson is a good Me goalie, too. but he's a 41-year-old backup who hasn't played in years. And he, when he has played in the last few games, he, he hasn't looked good. The Bruins could not generate any offense five-on-five. Five. Other than that Nick Ritchie goal, which they scored off of a face-off draw, so it wasn't a, a pressure, it wasn't a four-check, it wasn't off of the rush. It was off of a face-off, so it wasn't really a five-on-five five play. It was a one draw and a quick shot. They were, n- they were not a threat at five-on-five five all, all game long. And I think this was the Bruins' Achilles heel you know, for the first three quarters of the season, then they picked up Taylor Hall and they finally got their mojo working. It, 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 was, it was not a good sign for the Boston Bruins. Um, I, I think if they – their saving grace is that if Vanacek is hurt and he's hurt long-term, they have a chance at winning this series just because I don't think Craig Anderson is going to be able to hold up through a seven-game series. He's a good goalie, but like you said, he hasn't played a lot of hockey. He is – a little gray in the tooth, long in, long in the tooth, gray in the hair. And I think the Bruins can take advantage of that. But, man, they need to get their five-on-five five game going. They, they need to get back how it was at the end of the season when they were, they were up and down the ice, Smith and Hall and Krejci line, they were clicking, and the Pasternak, Marshawn line. They just got completely locked down. The Capitals played a pretty, pretty conservative game. It's not like they were getting chances left and right. It, it wasn't a really fast-paced, up-and-down game like the um, – Islanders Pens game was that was a pretty up and down you know fast paced game but it, it was a typical playoff hockey game it, w- it was tightly checked there wasn't a lot of massive errors and gosh if I'm the Bruins I don't feel too bad coming out of this game we didn't play our best hockey we we know we have a lot more to give five on five and we only lost three to two in overtime and we potentially are going up against their backup for the rest of the series so 
I'm not feeling too bad. The only thing is if Kuznetsov comes back for the Washington Capitals, it just makes them even more dangerous. Ovechkin didn't play overly well this game. He was playing physical. He's laid the body a few times. That was encouraging. Oh, she played well. Tom Wilson was playing in a good game. I was a little disappointed by Boston's first line. They had such a strong season. I thought they'd come out and set the tone early. I don't want to say they're invisible. Obviously, they get chances every single game, but they weren't as dominant as they had been throughout the regular season. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Do you think the Capitals just, you know, they, they get the last change in the game. They obviously matched up their top defenseman versus them. Do you think it wore on them? Do you think they just played a bad game? What are the answers? What, what are your thoughts after the first game? Just are the Bruins in trouble or is this just, okay, one game, not a big deal? No, and it's a game that could have gone either way. I think, like I said, the Capitals were probably the better team, but not by much. And and the, that first line, they had some – they started off well, I think. In the first period, they created some good chances. I thought Pasternak was going to score a couple of times. I think Marshawn, um, he blew a two-on-one with Pasternak where he they had time to, like, set up, and he just passed it right to Orlov, and, and Orlov broke it up easily. So I think – they need to just need to find their game, and, and they will. Obviously, they'll they'll have their game. Well, they they'll put up a combined six points, maybe even tomorrow night. You know, so um, I think they'll be fine. I think I think num- the next game is crucial because you can't let Craig Anderson get too confident and too comfortable in there. Um, and again, like at that age, and and, and when he's as as uh, I don't know, he hasn't played in so long. Then probably you know this could end at any time. He could he could just lose it at any time, but. Um, he's also a guy that we talked about. When he's on, he's he's as good as anyone, you know. And, and he's that's, a very that's what good the goaltender. Have to hope for. So. Yeah, I, I've I, I said it a couple years ago actually on the show where I, I like Craig Anderson. I think he's a great. We trying to say he was better than Price at one point. That was the I argument did. you were making. I did, yeah. and I hope they meet up in the Stanley Cup Finals. Here's here's a question I posed to you. Tuukka Rast played average. He didn't play great. Arguably, he could have you know maybe stopped one of those goals. Maybe a couple of them. They, they weren't grade A chances that he let in. He hasn't played well this season. You know, he had some injury trouble. He was in and out of the lineup. And when he was in the lineup, he didn't play that great. Swayman came in and he played very well. He, yep. he kind of solidified the, the crease for a long time for the Bruins. He, he, he was a very good goaltender. At what point, if you're the Boston Bruins, do you take Rask out of the net? Do you ever do that? It, it, just say Rask, they play next game. He has another average game. They lose again. Is there any chance Rask gets supplanted for Swayman in, in game three? No. I would say no. I mean, I could see him. The only, I mean, Rask could get pulled just like any other goalie could get pulled in any given night if they give up, you know, three goals and five shots. And maybe they take him out and put Swayman in. But I, it's hard to see a scenario where Rask doesn't start every game on this playoff run unless he's given up five, six goals, you know, in three or four games in a row where he's like, okay, we need to switch it up here. But that's not Rask either. He's never really done that in his career. So I, I, I'm not worried about him. I think he'll do what he needs to do. I think the, the bigger problem was like, yeah, maybe Rask could have had one or two of those goals, but also you. You should have – I think the Bruins missed the net something like 29 times or something like that. Um, and Again, you're facing Craig Anderson. Just put it on the net. You know what I mean? Like, don't try to get fancy with it. Just pucks on that. And um, I'm sure I'm sure they're addressing that, and they'll be ready to go tomorrow night. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they get, you know, two or three goals in the first period on Tuesday. Yeah, I disagree. I, I honestly disagree. If, if the Bruins go out and they lose another one close like they lost yesterday and – Rask plays average, but lets in maybe a couple goals that maybe he could have had. They have to make a change. They have to make a change. If, if the the difference is 
Rask not making a save, which he should have made, you have to make that change. You have a good team in the Boston Bruins, and if you're losing these game close, you have to do that. And, and I think Cassidy would do that. I don't think he's shown allegiance to Rask just by the way the end of the season ended where he was kind of alternating goaltenders. And you see it around the league, the Islanders game, they started Sorokin, Sor- Sorokin. Sorokin, yeah. Over Varlamov, which was a huge surprise. Varlamov is the big money guy they brought in. He was going to be the the stalwart to kind of backstop that team. He he's a backup now. Sorokin is the guy, and you see it in Toronto. They potentially could start all three goalies in this playoff run, however long they go with Riddick, Anderson, and Campbell. I don't think teams are married to one goaltender like they used to be in the past, and we'll see. I I guarantee you the Pittsburgh Penguins. Tristan Jari, the only way he stays in the crease is if the Smith is still injured because he has been injured. Because that game, oh. we'll touch on that. Tristan Jari did not look good. So, oh, my gosh. He, yeah, he had, I don't know, four just, you know, shots in the, in the slot that he, that he saw. No one in front of him, and they get by him. There's four snipes on him. I mean, they were great yeah, well, shots, but still, you've got to have those. Let's move on to that game. So, the second game that went to overtime, the Islanders-Penguins. And had we done a playoff preview, this was going to be my prediction. If there was a fourth seed that was going to make a run, it's the New York Islanders. I think the New York Islanders are dangerous. They always get underestimated. Every single year last year, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. No one even had them getting out of the first round. I like the New York Islanders. I see them beating the Pittsburgh Penguins. I see them beating the Capitals or the Bruins, and I see them making it out of this division. I like the way they're made. I like how they play. They play a team game. And I'm telling you what, Paul Mary didn't click during the regular season. He's a playoff performer. And we said, and I, gosh, I wish we would because I, I was going to say this before the game. Boom, he has two goals. He has the overtime winner. The guy knows how to play hockey the right way. And in the playoffs, when it's high pressure, when mistakes get amplified 1,000%, they can cost yourself the series any mistake. This guy doesn't make mistakes in those situations. He's been in the playoffs. He's battled in the trenches. He's a good player. I think the Islanders come out of this Eastern Conference, Honda, MasterCard, Midway, Tampax division. I don't know what it's called. The Islanders are going to come out of here. They won game one, four to three in overtime versus the Pittsburgh Penguins. At first glance, the reason they won, Tristan Yari was terrible. Every single goal that the Islanders scored, he should have saved. Every single one. And if you watch all the goals, the common theme was they're all glove side. Three were glove side high. The fourth one was glove side mid. They definitely have a scouting report on Tristan Yari. The analytics that teams have these days are insane. They track every single shot a goalie gets. They track where the shot goes. They track where the shot is coming from. And they track which shots go in, which shots he saves, where the rebounds go. They have a whole season's worth of data on this guy because they played him eight times. And they know exactly where the goals have gone in, and they know exactly where the goals aren't going in. So you better believe in the Islanders' locker room, they have a big picture of Tristan Yari. And they say, red, hot, shoot here. He's letting in 80% of the goals we score on him right here. Glove side, glove side, glove side high. Shoot there. I almost guarantee you that's the scouting report on Tristan Yari because there's no – this is not a coincidence that every time they go on a rush, every time they're breaking into the zone, every time someone's in the slot, they're going glove side high. If you watch that game, I would say 50 to 60% of the shots that the New York Islanders took are glove high. 
The kid, I don't know what it is about Yari. He needs to figure this out. Maybe he needs to hold his glove hand higher. They figured out he starts it low. When you shoot it high, he brings it low before he brings it up. There is something with his technique where he can't get that glove high. He's trying to get it with his shoulders. He's not bringing his glove up. There's something he has to work out because the Islanders figured it out. Every single goal was a savable goal, and they weren't from in high. They were, maybe one of them was screened. It, it, it was savable goals. Palmieri, both of his goals, it was glaring how obvious it was for me. But anyways, getting past that, getting past Tristan Yari not playing so great, another big news for me was no Evgeny Malkin. You know, he, he finished his season. He had a knee injury early May. It, it put him out for a week, week and a half. He came back. He finished the last four games. He practiced throughout the whole week. And then all of a sudden, the last practice before the game, he wasn't on the ice. If Yevgeny Malkin is not playing for the Pittsburgh Penguins and Tristan Yari is playing the way he's playing, do they have any chance of being the New York Islanders, who are well-coached? They have a GM who put this team together to compete in the playoffs. I love their fourth line. They call them their, you know, they set the tone line. That line has been together since I played the Islanders like 10 years ago. Matt Martin, Casey Sezikis, and Cal Clutterbuck. Like that line's been together forever. I think they're the longest trio in the whole league over that span. And Matt Martin left and came back. I know that, but it's, it's amazing that they still play together, but do the Penguins have any chance or is just, just the Islanders series from here on out? I mean, they always have a chance, right? Uh, Crosby can take over games. Did you see the, the tipping goal that he had? Oh, uh, it was one handed, unbelievable goal. Only, only a few yeah. guys can do that in the whole world. Pavelski, maybe. I think Crosby might be the only one who can even make that play. But, yeah, to your point, if, if, if Malkin's not playing, they, they figure it out. Malkin's been hurt a lot over the years. They figured out how to win without him. They're, obviously, they want him. They're much better with him in the lineup. And teams are much more worried about, you know, the Pittsburgh's four lines if Malkin's on one of them. But Jerry is a bigger question mark for me because he can absolutely has to play better than that. I mean, he had a couple, like the, the Palmieri goal. I don't know how many goals goalies are saving that, like that close to get that elevation on it. I think that was more credit to Palmieri than it was a knock on the overtime uh, winner. You think he should have, he should have, that was a good goal. I think it was. Yeah. I think uh, if you're even, on so, that, let me stop you there. If you're shooting from that angle and you're Kyle Palmieri and you're the goalie, you only have a sliver to score. All you have to do is stand up. That was a bad goaltending play there. He, all he has to do is stand up straight and be square to the shooter. And he's covering up the whole net. Did you see Pat Joe's goal? I did. I he's did. a right-hand shot coming down the left side. Just absolute laser. But Cody Cece, who gets a, he got bashed a lot on Twitter in the last couple of years, especially you know being the Maple Leafs, just not a good defenseman. And he's literally there, and he's and he's like kind of his stick is there. He's he's in position, but he doesn't put his stick on on the shot. Like he you you got a chance to take away or at least deflect it. He didn't do it, and uh, so yeah, I mean maybe maybe one of the, that shot doesn't go through, and maybe you know it's a totally different game if the CC just did the bare minimum there. So not to defend Jerry, he he needs to make those saves. So I think he's the ultimate question mark for the for the Penguins. I have a chance, and I think hopefully we'll see how he bounces back on uh, Tuesday. The scary thing is, is that Matt Barzell didn't play that great. You yep. know what I mean? Their first line didn't really play that great. Obviously, Brock Nelson scored, but Bailey didn't play that well. Barzell didn't play that well. Beauvillier, Beauvillier who has been yep. arguably their best player down the stretch, you know, he, he played okay. The line that beat them 
was the Palmieri Pajot line. Pajot played great. I, I still remember his run when he was in Ottawa when they had that nice run in the playoffs. He's a good player. This is a very scary team, the New York Islanders. Nick Letty had a bad turnover, led to a Pittsburgh goal. You know, besides that, the Islanders' defense played pretty well. You could say the same thing for a Pittsburgh goal when Mayfield didn't close the gap on, I think it was Komarov, and he got a shot off to tie it up 3-3. But, gosh, if Sorokin plays the way he did, he's get you know, Penguins still got 42 shots on him. It's not like the Penguins rolled over and died. They played a really good game. Sorokin yeah. played well. Paul Mary played well. The Islanders look good. They're going to – that's the – this is the thing for Pittsburgh where they have to worry. Yari played bad. You had a good game. The Islanders didn't play that well. You know, I, I would think if this game was played the same way five times over, Pittsburgh wins four of those games just because the Penguins played pretty good. The Islanders will regroup. They will come back stronger. I don't think Pittsburgh plays a better hockey game than that. The only way Pittsburgh plays better than that is if you get Evgeny Malkin comes back and he amplifies their power play, which was not very, not very great this past game. But, gosh, I like the Islanders, Tim. I like him a lot. Yari's a mess right now. They got no Malkin, Palmieri, Zajac. They got all these guys. They're very deep. They're very dangerous. They have the fourth line that starts the game and who can is an impact line, which you need in the playoffs. I'm telling you what, don't sleep on these New York Islanders. I'm telling you right now, don't let them fool you like they do every single year. Everyone's like, ah, oh, don't worry about the Islanders. Ah, eh, Long Island, we're not going to worry about them. They're a very good hockey team. They're a very, very good hockey team. Any any other thoughts on this series? They remind me of the next series we're going to talk about. Another team that people just don't respect and don't give the credit to, Minnesota Wild. All right. Let's talk about them. The Minnesota Wild. Going into this series, I think everyone just expected the Vegas Golden Knights to roll over them because when you think of Vegas, when you think of the Western Division, you think of Vegas and Colorado. The two juggernauts are going to meet in the final and they're going to just knock each other out and the winner of that's going to win the Stanley Cup. That's what I thought. Then I dove in a little deeper. The Minnesota Wild were 5-1-2 and two versus Vegas this year. The Minnesota Wild had their way with the Vegas Golden Knights. They outplayed them. They were the better team in the majority of the games. The Vegas Golden Knights in that division, if you take Minnesota out of that division, the Vegas Golden Knights are by far, they, I think they only have seven losses. Half, over, almost half of their losses, the Vegas Golden Knights, were to the Minnesota Wild. Talking to Ryan Reeves on Wednesday's episode, he said, I want to play St. Louis. We match up well against them. It'd be a fun series. They're really, you know, we, we play well against them. Lo and behold, he was right because they get the Minnesota Wild. And I tell you what, for a one nothing score, the, Minnesota, or the Vegas Golden Knights got lucky. This should have been 5 nothing, Maybe 5-1. Like, uh, Ryan Hartman. Okay, I watched this game. If Ryan Hartman for the Minnesota Wild would have finished half of his chances, he gets four goals. And I'm not talking like tertiary outside shots. I'm not talking a rebound here or there. I'm talking breakaways. I'm talking in the slot. I'm talking back doors. I'm talking two-on-one chances. I'm talking rebounds. Ryan Hartman must have had seven to eight grade A chances where Mark andre Fleury absolutely robbed him. Or Ryan Hartman just buried the shot right in his chest. I don't know. Did you see all the chances that he got? I didn't. I actually didn't watch this game. I think I was oh, sleeping. Damn. I saw some of the highlights, though. I saw Fleury saves. It's absolutely incredible. Even um, Cam Talbot, who got the win in the shutout, was talking about how good Fleury was in this game. When your best player is your goaltender – 
and you still lose one nothing, I'm really worried going into game two because it, it just it's really really hard to score goals. And if you can't even get one goal and your goalie's your best player and you can't get one, like it, you're in trouble. The one weakness I see for Vegas is they don't have a legit superstar. They really don't have someone. Maybe Mark Stone is the guy who can drive the offense, but they don't have a guy who can go out there and single-handedly just make plays. Do, do you think or do you think they have a couple guys who can do that? I don't think they need it because they have so many good players, so many top end. Like, yeah, they don't have like a one Ovechkin or Stamkos, Kucherov type player, but they don't have like any weaknesses in that roster. And they have so many guys that could be a top six or even top three forward on so many teams. And they, they're playing second, third line minutes for these, for these Golden Knights because just because they're so deep. So I don't think they need one player to take over. And I think, I think pretty soon, whether it's game two or where they lose two and come back with two, we're going to see – pretty quickly how good this team is and like I think we're just sort of forgetting even though the wild match up against them and, and they beat them today we're forgetting how good this team really is and I think they're going to show it and come back strong I, I I agree but the best forward line on the ice that game was Zuccarello Kapril Kaprizov and Ryan Hartman they were unstoppable every time they were on the ice they were making great plays great a chances Vegas couldn't keep up. Defensemen were pinching. They were getting blown by for two-on-ones, three-on-twos, like fourth guy joining in the rush. Here's the issue for Vegas. They have that deep forward groups, corps, squads, whatever you want to call them. They got a lot of good players on forward. Minnesota Wild, their defense is stacked. When you can line up Brodeen and Dumba, Spurgeon and Suter, and you're rolling out your third deep pairing, Ian Cole and Susie, that's a pretty solid top six. And when you don't really have any weaknesses on the back end, they obviously shield Cole and Susie. You know, they, they get a shift for the other guys. They, they get double shifted. The other guys and Susie and Cole play one shift for every five. So they don't give them that much time to get it exposed. They kind of get them out versus the third and fourth line. When you can get Brodine, Dumba, Spurgeon, and Suter playing predominantly against the top three lines, you can eliminate all those forwards. Because like I said, in order to break down a good D system, you need a forward who can make a guy miss. You need a forward who can create space and can make a play. You need a guy who can break down a defensive structure to get guys running around. And if you don't have a guy, the one chance that the Vegas Golden Knights had, Mark Stone just kind of walked in around a couple guys and he had a great A chance. Talbot made the best save of the game coming across. It was a really great save. But they just don't have... This is the only knock on Vegas, I think. They're a very complete team, like you said. They're dangerous. I think they will win this series. They don't have that one guy. They don't have a Nathan McKinnon. They don't have a guy who can go out there, like a Kapril Kaprizov, who's turning out to be a very dynamic player in this league, who can go out and just take over a game. A Matt Barzell, a Sidney Crosby, a Pasternak, an Ovechkin. Vegas doesn't have that guy. They have a lot of good players, but they don't have that one guy. Yeah, I get it. They have a Carlson and a Marcia Stowe and a, and a Smith and a Stone and a Tuck. Do any of those guys scare you one-on-one? Honestly. Probably not. No. That's their only knock. Pacioretty? Pacioretty? No. No, 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 no. Pacioretty didn't even play. I don't know what's wrong with him. He, he's hurt. I don't know what's, what's wrong with Max Pacioretty. If you know, let me know because I don't know what's going on with him. But they, that's their only issue is they don't have that one guy who can go, okay, we need a play. Let's get him going. You know what I mean? 
that's my – so you still think Vegas is okay? They're going to come back? Out of all the teams that lost the first game, the Bruins, the Penguins, and the Vegas Golden Knights, which one is in the most trouble? The Penguins, I think. Just because of how bad Jerry looked and um, how simple the Islanders game is. You know, they're not flashy. So I think, yeah, I'm not going to go back into that game. But, yeah, I would think the Penguins are in the most trouble so far. What, do you, what about you? I agree. I agree. I think the Penguins are, are – I don't want to say they're going to get swept, but I think they will lose in six or seven. I think all these series are so evenly matched, and every game is going to come down to the last five minutes, and it's going to be fun to watch because they're so familiar with each other. They know exactly what they're doing on special teams. They know exactly how they forecheck. They know all their systems. So it's just going to come down to who executes better, who is going to limit the mistakes, which team is going to go out and just be more fundamentally sound because they just – listen, you know each other so well. And this is just an unheard of playoff series where you literally have already played these guys eight times and you, you know what they're going to do. You know, all the players, you know, the trash talk, that's all set aside. You just play hockey. So whoever's going to make the mistake, all these overtime games. And I just want to touch on, I'm sure we'll dig, dig into this a little deeper on, you know, podcasts going forward. What did, what did I say a while ago? The main issue for the Toronto Maple Leafs is they're not going to get the competition. They're not going to get the hard-fought playoff series. They're not going to be able to, you know, dig down deep and really, you know, have, have to come up with grit to win that game. And it's just – it's already happening. These are very hard-fought series already. Three of them in overtime. Tampa Bay Lightning just scored with a minute left to make it 5-4, so they're going to win. They were down 4-3 with seven minutes to go. They dug down deep. They scored two in the last seven minutes to win the game against Florida. I don't think the Leafs are going to have to have this kind of adversity and it's going to be an issue. And I'm telling you right now, you need to overcome adversity to win in the playoffs. It's not a cakewalk. It never is a cakewalk. And this is an issue Toronto's going to have. And I want to talk about this and, you know, in another podcast, because I think it's, it's something we really have to look at. Toronto's going to have a cakewalk into this final four and it's not good for them. It's good in some ways where they're not going to get injured and they're going to save their body, but it's not good where you're just, you're not mentally prepped. You're not ready to play, and it's going to be a huge, huge issue. All right, I just touched on it real quick. Tampa Bay Lightning, they just won 5-4. to four. The Panthers had a disallowed goal in the first few minutes of the game. Did you see that? Yes, I did. A terrible call by the refs. It should have been a goal. Sam Bennett should have scored. What are your thoughts on that? I just want to touch on it real quick. Yeah, my gut reaction was that it was a terrible call. The more I watch it, though, it, I think I think it was the right call on the ice. I think Hornquist does push Vasquez's pad and doesn't pushes him out of position, doesn't let him make the play, and I think that's the textbook rule there. So I was I was kind of pissed about it, but I think the more I watch it, the more I understand that it was the right call on the ice. I don't think it's the right call. If the puck's on the ice and the puck's in, on the goalie's pad and the goalie can't hold his post, you're more than you you're in your right to push that puck in the net. The goalie's job is to stop the puck. It's not your job to make sure you don't push the goalie's pad. The goalie has to hold his net and hold his crease. You're trying to put the puck in the net. I don't think now all of a sudden we can't push the goal. I don't know. It's not like he's moving him with his hand. He has a stick on the puck, and he's pushing the puck into the net. I don't like it. The puck was exposed. It should have been a goal. It changed the whole impact of the game. Sam Bennett played great. The story of this game is Nikita Kucherov. He takes the whole season off, did not play one minute, one second, did not dress a game, comes back, gets two goals, one assist, first start of the game, can, like changed the whole aspect of the game. How do, how do kids, how do they do it? Honestly, I don't even know. I don't want to touch on it too much. I know we got to go, but 
to, to take the whole season off, Tim, you have a broken leg right now. You're going to come back in September. You might miss a couple more months. Do you think you're going to be able to come back and just be the best version of you? No, but who knows what he was doing on his own, right? I mean, I'm sure he's been practicing well, he's and training, training. But you're not playing in the NHL in the playoffs and all of a sudden can come in and get three points in one game. It's amazing. That was also a heavy game, too. Like, those guys were beating the crap out of each other. Like, that was, like, that was game seven in conference semifinals energy, and that was just game one. You know what I mean? So, it was a lot of fun to watch. I bet he wasn't logging. I have to go back. I bet he wasn't logging, like, heavy, heavy minutes, you know, in terms of not just not just the, the total minutes but the hard minutes. I, I bet he got a lot of power play time um, and probably some advantageous matchups on the ice. But it was, uh, was kind of cool to see. It's frustrating because you forget, like – you kind of like, wow, the, you know, maybe the Islanders or the, the Panthers are the better team. They finished higher. Maybe Tampa is just taking it one or two steps back this year. They're still, you know, lethal. But then you realize, like, they're just getting a top five or ten player in the league back, totally fresh. Stamkos has missed the last 16 games. He's playing. And you realize, okay, this could easily be a top three team in the league right now. And I think it wouldn't even be that much of a stretch to say they're the best team in the league right now. Yeah, they're dangerous. Listen, they're, they're the reigning Cup champions for the reason for a reason they know how to win. Hedman was banged up. He still is banged up. This is going to be an issue with them is their health. They have the talent. They have the depth. Can they stay healthy? Can Stamkos manage to to not get hurt? Is Kucherov going to have an injury bug? Jump back in him. Is Hedman going to be able to stay healthy? The first game, they all all three even played great. They they knocked it out of the park. Here's the issue with Florida. You played a great game. Bobrovsky started. Do you sit Bobrovsky and go to Dragman or whatever his name is? Dreger. Uh, Dreger. Dreger. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, I missed the third period. I, I don't think many of those goals are his fault. A couple of backdoor power play goals. Um, I don't know. Maybe a short leashing game too, but I think I think because if that doesn't work out, then what? And then you get two goalies with low confidence. So I think I'd try to give Bobrovsky uh, another game to get his, to get his game back and, and try to earn his spot. What do you do? I sit him. You know, you can't go down two games to Tampa Bay. You can't even let him get a lead, one nothing, two nothing. You got to get, you got to get rid of him. You can't give up five goals in the playoffs. I don't care if three of them are backdoor tap ins. You have confidence with that other goalie. He played well during the season. You got to, you got to switch it up. And if he doesn't play well, you go back to Bobrovsky. Quinville's good with this. He's good with his players. He's up front with them. I'm sure he'll have a conversation. It would not surprise me to see Dreger in the net. Is it Scott Dreger? He played good this year. He's a good goaltender. Chris, whatever. Chris Scott, same thing. Both really great names. But anyways, everybody, Tim, go get some rest. Thank you for soldiering this podcast, getting it done. I know you want to go to bed. Heal up. If you need anything, let me know, my friend. Yeah, yeah. We'll try to make up some episodes maybe. We got some catch-up to do from last week. Ketchup and mustard. You better believe it, buddy. All right, everybody. Well, have a great week. We're glad to be back. We're going to start pumping out episodes. The playoffs are here. I'm super jacked about it. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. It's going to be great, everybody. We will talk to you soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 